I'm going to start the recording. Lord, we do thank you for just meeting with us in the beautiful way that you did in our time of worship. Lord, just singing that song at the end, I could only imagine. I remember when my cousin Nellie was dying in the hospital and my cousins were all around her playing worship music and that was the song that they were singing to her as she was leaving this earth. And God, we can only imagine what it's going to be like when we're with you. Lord, we have such a future and a living hope that does not compare to this world. Lord, and I just pray that you would continue to prepare us for that life now while we're still here. Lord, and that you would use this class to help us to know how to allow you to be enough for us, Lord. Continue to get at those things that hinder that from happening in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in chapter 5 of our Bible study, being satisfied with self is a second barrier to learning God is enough. And Diane is sitting there cracking up. (laughs) So I just want to open with this paragraph because I thought this was a really neat paragraph. In here, short. And this is again from Cynthia Hild. And she said, When our oldest daughter was three years old, I asked her to hold my hand as we crossed the busy street. She looked up at me, clasped her hands together, and proclaimed, I hold my own hand. (laughs) Out of the mouth of a child came the simple and striking description of pride holding our own hand. So when we look at that, when we look at what really is being satisfied with self or being self-sufficient, some of the attitudes that we can say that reveal we're totally relying on self or our own natural reasoning mind is, I know what's best. I know what's best for me, and I know what's best for you. (laughs) How many people have you ran into that know what's best for you? And they tell you this list of things, and it's like, that may not be God's will. It may not be God's will. We don't know. Only he knows. Or I can take care of it myself. I don't need no help. The Lord sent me to Pure Life for 22 years to get at that in me, where I had to learn how to ask for help from men because I was very self-sufficient. And he sent me there for 22 years to learn how to say, when they come to me, do you need help with that, Sister Rose? Yes. No, I got it. I got it. No, I need help. I need help. How, another attitude that we see if we know we're self-sufficient is if I'm in control, then I can determine what happens. Can't tell you how much I hear that in counseling from women. I've got to be in control because then I can determine how everything will turn out. But we're deceiving ourselves. Because only God is in control. He's the sovereign one. He's totally in control of all things. 
all things. Oswald Chambers said, pride is the defecation of self. It's thinking that we're better than others, thinking that certain tasks are beneath us, thinking that everyone should treat us the way we deserve to be treated. How many years say ouch on that one? He also said God can do nothing for us if we think we are sufficient of ourselves. We have to enter into his kingdom through the door of destitution. The reality that I don't know what to do. I don't have any answers. Or like this brother last night said to us in counseling, I've tried everything, even holistic things. I've tried everything and I have this chronic condition. I'm at the end. Will you pray for me? I believe God told me to pray and he'll heal me. And we believe because he was obedient, God touched him. God touched him, we believe that. As long as we are rich, possessed of anything in the way of pride or independence, God can't do anything for us. He can't do anything for us. Pride, this is still Oswald Chambers saying these things, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Even common sense. Pride cares more for self than for others. And I love this translation. I didn't get a chance to look up what translation this was from. But it was in the Bible study, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Listen to how it translates the love. We all know the portion of scripture of what biblical love is. But this translation says love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first. Isn't that a good translation, that one? And we all have to be aware of anything that puts us in a place of superiority. All of us. All of us have to be aware of that. Pride continues to demand more and more recognition and more control. Pride cannot be content because it's always seeking for the best seat and the highest place. Andrew Murray said it's the me first attitude. Me is the most exacting person requiring the best seat and the highest place for itself and feeling grievously wounded if its claim is not recognized. The opposite of this, I mean, the opposite of what we are looking at is poverty of, stim- poverty of spirit. And this is what poverty of spirit sounds like, looks like, according to scripture, David, I love when you read in 2 Samuel 7 through 18, it says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord in the temple. And he said, Who am I, Lord? And what is my house that you brought me thus far? John the Baptist, in John 1, verse 23, he said, I'm just a voice. 
just a voice. Crying in the wilderness. It is he. He who's coming after me is preferred before me. Whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to loose. After me comes a man, his name is Jesus, who is preferred before me because he was before me. This is what poverty of spirit, this is what humility looks like. Realizing I don't deserve anything. I don't even deserve everything that God has blessed me with, what David said. What is my house and you've brought us this far? But then John, John in reality, too many microphones here. John in reality, and I talk with my hands. John in reality here that he was just a voice preparing the way for the bridegroom. He was just preparing the way. He was nothing, really. He kept saying, I need to decrease so he can increase. Fade. Fade in the background. Fade in the background. So Jesus can be exalted. The one that we were singing about tonight. The way we were singing about him tonight. How we were singing. The songs we were singing. That he would be exalted. That he would be lifted up. That he would be known. That he would be seen. It's all about him and his kingdom. It's not about us. It's not about us. Jesus, this is a picture of Jesus. Um, John, uh, sorry, Paul wrote in Philippians 2 verses 3 through 8. This was the mind of Christ. He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself a no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So those are our examples of what it means to be in poverty of spirit, the opposite of pride. When we are in poverty of spirit, when we're walking in humility in this way, then God can be enough for us. I say that because when you look at scripture, when we go to the next session, section where it says pride full of self, we see what Satan was in, in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. How you have fallen from heaven, Isaiah said, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you've been cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Pride is a serious issue. I hope we're seeing that. I heard a quote that said once, pride is what turned angels into devils. 
I forgot who said it, but I remember when I heard that, I said, man, I never thought of it that way. Pride is what turned angels into devils. That's why God's always looking for ways to humble us, to show us our need. And he uses various ways to humble us, to show us our need. Proverbs 16, 18 said, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And when we see two examples of this in Numbers 16, 1 through 35, I'm not going to read it all, but this was when Korah had led the rebellion in Israel. Remember with Dathan and Abiram? And there were 250 chiefs of the people, and they rebelled against Moses and Aaron's authority. They said to Moses and Aaron, they don't have any right to claim they're superior in authority to any of the Israelites. So they were like, God had placed these men in over to lead, and here they were backbiting, backbiting. What makes them so special? What makes them so spiritual? We hear from God. Remember what happened with Miriam and Aaron, um, Aaron and Miriam when they did that? So they tried accusing Moses of trying to make himself a prince, but God had appointed him over the people. And they had actually accused Moses of leading them out of the land of Egypt into the wilderness to kill them. You let us out here to kill us. Talk about accusing spirit. It's the same spirit that the devil's in. He's the accuser of the brethren, the book of Revelation tells us. And Moses had told these rebels that were risen up in pride to appear before God the next morning with censures full of incense. And as they were obedient to do this, he's told them God would select who should lead Israel. He's like, okay, well, we'll... We'll see how God's going to answer you, Korah, and the rest of the group, the rest of the gang. So the next day, Moses and Aaron and those that rebelled and all the Israelites, they met at the tabernacle, and many of the Israelites sided with Korah. And that's hard to wrap your mind around with. They're siding with the rebel, siding with him. And they wanted Moses and Aaron remove them. You know, I couldn't help when I read through this, think about church splits. How many times this happens in churches where there's backbiting in the background, or I would do it this way, or I see it this way, or I, 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 I. Beware. I'm just going to tell you a word of wisdom. When you hear a lot of I, I, I from someone, beware. Are they really being led by the Spirit? Or is it the big eye leading them? Beware. Discernment. What does God think? What does God want? How is he leading? Not what I think, what I want, what I desire. That's what they, that's what they were in, and this is what we see in the years we've been counseling with how churches split. There's usually a group that's talking, 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 talking. And then before you know it, there's this big thing. And then the split comes. And people are hurt. And we see that all the time at the counseling center. A lot of hurt people from people in the church that were in pride, thinking they knew better than the leadership that God had appointed over that flock. That's why it's so important to walk humbly before the Lord. 
But I don't know. I don't, I really, I don't know. But you do. You do. So God's glory appears to Moses and he tells Moses to stand back from the people because he was about to destroy them. Because he knew they weren't going to repent. Whenever you see God destroying a people, it's because he knew they were not going to repent. It's not like he's out to get people. He gives people an opportunity to repent. But we read in scripture, those that keep stiffening their neck and hardening their heart, they stiffen themselves against their own remedy. I mean, they're just so hard-hearted and so stiff-necked that what's left for them? If they're not embracing mercy from the Lord through repentance, what's left? His judgment, his wrath. That's why it's so important to look for opportunities. How can I humble myself in this situation? And God, you know, it's so beautiful. When you look at Moses, every time I read about Moses, he's such a picture of how Jesus intercedes for us. Because God was about to pour out his wrath upon the people, and Moses is there interceding, pleading with God not to destroy the people on the account of Korah. He's interceding on their behalf. And God told the people to stand back from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and Mo- Moses prophesied that the ground would open up and kill these men. And we read now on your paper, verse 31 through 33, that's just the, trying to get through the whole chapter there. Verse 31 says, As soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. What would happen if that would happen today in our churches? If the ground started opening up and swallowing groups of people? This really happened. You see that in the book of Acts, right? God sent fire into the camp and it killed the 250 chiefs who allied with Korah. And then Eliza's, Eliza, Aaron's son, was told to collect the 250 censers and hammer them into place to be used as a covering for the bronze altar for memorial to the people so they would remember. They would remember. And then we have Naaman. I studied Naaman this week. It's like, Naaman is 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 19. When you go through that chapter, you see how God orchestrated people and events to humble Naaman and to reveal his pride. Naaman was a powerful warrior in the Syrian army, but he had leprosy. He had leprosy. And leprosy in biblical times can can be compared to cancer in our day. Naaman found out that Elisha could heal him through a little slave girl. She had told him. So Naaman went to visit Elisha, and Elisha sent a messenger to Nahum and told him, now get this, Elisha didn't go to Naaman. He sent a messenger. And he told him to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Not five, not six. Not four, not three, seven. 
Now the Jordan River borders with Jordan and Syria is there, Israel's on the other side, and that's where all the sewage from the countries goes. When we went to Israel, our tour guide says, you do not want to get baptized in the Jordan River. There's a lot of sewage in there. Yes. So you can see why he was in a rage that he had to go dip in that water. But he was a leper. He was a leper. So he's in a rage because he didn't expect his servant. He wanted Elisha to come. Let the man of God come and lay hands on me and heal me. And God's saying, I have another way I'm going to bring healing to you. You're not going to like it. I've seen him do this in Christians' lives. Dear people, friends of mine that I've had over the years, men and women of God that were walking with the Lord, that had illnesses or diseases or, or, or cancers or different things, and they had to go the hard way for healing. So with my own mom. See, sometimes we think, no, pray for me, heal me, pray for healing. But God may have another route. Because he's after something in us. He's after something. And he wants to reveal himself to us in new ways. So Naaman said, I thought that Elisha would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Don't we play out in our minds scenarios of what it's supposed to look like or how we imagine it's going to be? And then what happens when it's not that way? Do we get mad? Do we get angry? You know, it's amazing that we never know how God is going to bring an answer to our prayers. And we have to remember when he doesn't answer in the way we want him to answer, he said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you know, when Naaman had received these instructions to dip in the Jordan seven times, initially he refused. He was like, I'm not doing that. But he realized, if I want to get my healing, I have to do this. I have to go this route. This is what God has ordained for me. You think about if he didn't dip seven times, he would have never got his healing. If he only did six, five, four, three, two, one. He got his healing as he was obedient to do what they told him he needed to do. And you know what the end of the story was? His skin was restored like a baby. A leper. Totally restored like baby skin. So, and he wound up getting saved, too. And we heard about that. Didn't we hear that on Sunday? About the guy at the pool of the Bethesda? Same thing. Similar. 
He had his healing, but he had to pick up his mat and walk, do what Jesus told him to do. But he had his healing, and he got saved, too. So, again, we look at a picture of humility. That's, again, a picture of pride, what pride looks like. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 14, verses 8 to 11, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invites you and and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who has invited you comes, he may say unto you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself, he will be exalted. So good assignments to look for different ways. How can I humble myself today? The best place to start is with your spouse. Then your children. Let that circle go out. Why is this important that we learn this now? The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. And Isaiah, if you've never read through Isaiah 2, I would encourage you to read through Isaiah 2. We were told to read through that chapter, I don't know how many times. And look how many times it says that human pride, the pride of man, will be brought down. And human arrogance will be humbled. And only the Lord will be exalted on that day. Only the Lord. Everything that we know in creation is going to be humbled by King Jesus, including us. So it's better we humble ourselves now. Learn how to humble ourselves now. Again, we sing the songs that we sing, and it's like, yeah, his name is above every other name. And every knee is going to bow before him in heaven and on earth and beneath the earth. Every knee is going to bow before him. We could be bowing in our hearts. How we bow to him in our hearts is saying, Lord, not my will. Not my will. But yours be done. You know this is the pathway I would not choose for myself. But if this is the pathway you've chosen for me, not my will. But your will be done. It's a way of humbling yourself before the Lord. Psalm 138, verse 6 says, Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. We never want him to say that about us. He doesn't know us because of our pride. Proverbs 16, verse 5, Everyone proud in heart, is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Proverbs 21.4 says, A haughty look and a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. Somehow we don't see pride as sin, but it is sin. It is sin. Again, with the Pharisees, we look at their... We've done this before. We've looked at the Pharisees before. In Matthew 23, verses 1 through 7, some of the characteristics 
is they tell others to observe and do what the law of Moses commanded, but they don't do. Law keepers, they were great law keepers. And then they looked down on everyone else that didn't keep the law like they kept the law. But that can't save you. Salvation is by grace and grace alone, not keeping the law. Do you want to be saved by the law or saved by works with faith? Faith. I want his righteousness. They bind heavy burdens and hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves would not move them with one of their fingers. They were always watching. I think about Jesus, how they were with Jesus. If you read the Pharisees, they were always watching him, looking to see how they can accuse him of something. It's, it was terrible. They were always looking to find fault in him because he wasn't living the way they thought he should be living. All of their works, they did it to be seen by men. So men would think, wow, look how spiritual they are. Look how spiritual they are. They love the best seats at the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and they love to be called rabbi, rabbi. See how all that feeds pride. But God, like I said earlier, he knows how to help us with that. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10, you all know this portion of scripture. Paul has some amazing revelations of Jesus. In fact, he saw him. He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he said lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. God, Paul knew that God had allowed this messenger of Satan to come to keep him humble, to keep him humble. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. So if you see, okay, I really have a pride issue here. Ask the Lord. Lord, bring whatever needs to come into my life to keep me or make me walk in humility before you to realize that it's not all about me, it's about you. It's about you. See, when we look at the Pharisee and the tax collector, and all these scriptures came out of the Bible study in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus told his disciples a parable about those who trust in themselves that they're righteous, 
and they despise others. And he said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Charles Spurgeon said, pride cannot live beneath the cross. And again, that's a beautiful picture. That picture of the tax collector is a beautiful picture of someone that's walking in poverty of spirit. Someone who realized I desperately need God. I don't have any righteousness of my own to stand on. So when we look at the second point there on humility, how do we empty ourselves of self? When Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And what we see, we have to die daily to our pride. Daily we have to die. You know, remember in the Garden of Eden, part of the fall, when Satan came to Eve, was you could be like God. And how many times do we try to play God? because we think we know better. And we think we know what everyone else needs or what everyone else needs to do. But Jesus says, if anyone decides to come up to me, deny yourself. Deny yourself. And this has to be a daily thing. Because Jesus was always looking to the Father when you think about his life here, he always sought the Father, Father, what is your will? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? He said, me, me and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he was dependent on the Father, even though he was the Son of God, Savior of the world. Romans 12, verse 3, we're looking at how can we walk in humility. Romans 12, 3 says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. And again, that's esteeming others as being better than self. There's always someone that's going to be better than you are, than I am. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with that? Second Corinthians 5.15, Paul wrote, And Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So again, my life is not my own. I don't call the shots. 
My life's not my own. I live for him, for his kingdom, for his kingdom purposes. Galatians 6 verses 3 through 5 says, I love the Apostle Paul. He was just out there, straight. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I didn't say that. He did. <laughs> That's why I love biblical counseling. Can't get mad at me because this is what God's word says. I'm just telling you what God's word says. <laughs> if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And the Apostle Paul had the credentials that were like off the charts. But he counted it all as dumb. When he saw Christ. We sang that song tonight, I Can Only Imagine. What will it be like? I've read books. I've heard testimonies of saints that have gone before us alive in the 1800s that were on their deathbed and when they were dying, they said all their writings was like nothing in comparison to what they saw as they started crossing over. And these are godly men that we hold in high esteem. And a lot of them said their writings were like nothing when they saw the heavens start opening and they were about to enter into eternity. There's a quote, and I'm gonna close with this by Marshall Lang. He said, the beginning of all prayer, Christ reminds us, is the taking of the sinner's place and the simple appeal for mercy. And as it is the first, so it is the cry ever pulsing through prayer. It is never wanting from the justified. The pardon has been received. The blood cleanses from all sin, but not the less, but all the more is the knowledge of sin and the need of the ever renewed application of mercy. This is humility, sinful self cast on divine mercy and forgiven much, loving much. There is no measurement with other men, for God is all and all. And again, we were looking at the second barrier to learning that God is enough. Being satisfied with self, which really just leads to pride, and prideful thinking and looking down on everyone else, and just thinking we're something when we're nothing, or just realizing, no, I need Jesus. I need him to be my all in all, walking in that poverty of spirit. If it wasn't for his grace, I would not be standing here right now. If it wasn't for his mercy, I would have nothing here to share with you. It's all him. It's all what he did on the cross that allows us to come and to be a witness, a witness in our generation to the realities that God is love. He really is love, and I don't deserve that love. And being able to share that with others, because so many out there feel like, I don't deserve his love. Well, neither did I, but he still loves you. He still loves you. But you have to be walking in humility 
to be able to share that with others, that love. Because when we're in pride, it's just wrapped up in me, like we read. It's me first, it's just me. Forget about everyone else. Look out for number one. And that's the mindset of this world, right? The mindset of this world is look out for number one. Nobody's going to do me whatever. I've heard that in counseling. I got to take care of myself. Well, then there's no room for God. If you're doing it, there's no room for God. How are you going to know God is enough if you don't let go of the rights of your life? And bow before him in your heart. Not so much outwardly. I don't, I don't go so much for like... You know, I believe in altar calls and all that, but I've just seen too much over the years, especially in Teen Challenge days. My whole church would go down to the altar every service. What's happening in here? What's happening in here? Because anyone could get on their knees before a crowd of people. Look, what's happening in here moment by moment, day by day? That's where the rubber hits the road. Am I yielding to him inside? Even though I wrestle, even though I wrestle, it's like, Lord, I really don't want this, but not my will. Are we willing to throw that flag up and say, not my will, but yours be done? Each time we do that, God's getting a chunk of that pride out of us and putting in humility. Every time we surrender, every time we say, Lord, it is well with my soul, even if you have to put it all over your house. It is well as with my soul as a reminder. If we want to know God is enough for us, we have to let him get at this barrier and not be content with self or where we're at, even spiritually. There's more. There's so much more. And he knows how to bring us into the more. So next week, Lord willing, if we have a next week, <laughs> sorry ladies, but then we're going to look at the third barrier and just be on guard because the third barrier is taking offense. Eyes. Eyes, right, yeah. I, I hear eyes, foot stomping, <laughs> eyes rolled up in the air for those that aren't here. I know, taking offense, so you know what that means, right? Yes. Yeah. But we're looking at barriers. And if we really want God to be enough for us, we've got to let him deal with all this stuff. And he knows exactly, exactly, he tailors it for each one, exactly your little child you got to go through to get out what he wants to get out inside, but to impart what he wants to impart inside too at the same time. I was sharing with Teresa on Sunday. You see what happens when we do Bible studies, becoming women of prayer, becoming women of faith, and now God is enough. You're either sick all the time, or you got this thing going on, or that thing going on, or this child going on, or that. But that we should be encouraged by it. Not discouraged, we should be encouraged. God's working in our lives. We're asking Him, right, to work in our lives as ladies. So I was joking with her. I said, you know, I've been looking at what will we do next? She's got one becoming women of grace, but I was like, nah, I don't think we should do that one. <laughs> Can you imagine all of us 
doing that one, trying to become women of grace. We got menopausal women in this group. We have uh, premenopausal women. <laughs> She'll be fun. <laughs> uh, hormones going like this. So. There's homework there if you want to go through it. Some of the questions, since we have a little bit of time, whoever's listening online, usually you're not here to be able to get the homework. So I'll just read some of these questions here so you have an idea. The homework is for personal thoughts and reflections. After quieting your heart, pray over Paul's testimony to the church in Corinth. We have depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. Assure the Lord that you desire his wisdom as you answer the following questions. Number one, review this teaching and summarize your key thoughts concerning pride. What particular passage helped you to acknowledge your me-first attitude? In what areas are you most tempted to compare yourself to others or to hold your own hand? Ask the Lord to point out any blind spots you might have in recognizing pride in your own life. Pray for wisdom and learning how to enter yourself in order to be filled with Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 teaches us how to live a pride-free life. And the last question there is, have you opened the door of destitution and accepted God's free gift of salvation? We learn from Naaman that God is a God of grace, and there is nothing you can do in and of yourself to earn or merit his love and forgiveness. If it is your desire to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then humbly admit that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. Confess your belief that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and express your desire to love him and follow him. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Record the date you prayed this prayer in your Bible to mark the beginning of your new life in Christ. And I said that was the last one, but there's another question here. Close in prayer, humbly entreating God to deliver you from the spiritual cancer of pride. Ask him to point out the specific ways you exhibit pride. Request that he show you your shrewd activity, the deadly doing that you need to lay down in order to be free from self and filled with his spirit. Pray to have an honest evaluation of yourself. Pray that you can empty all thyself of self so that there is abundant room for him. Ask that as you keep your hand in his, you will reflect Christ's humble and gentle spirit and his love in you will be evident to all. Pray that you will no longer live for yourself, but for the Christ, willing to love and serve others in humble obedience. And Lord, we do thank you for allowing us to have this time together tonight. Father, we thank you for showing us our pride, Lord. Even though it's hard to look at that ugly cancer god we thank you that you want to cut that out lord of our hearts lord it has to be cut out of our hearts because otherwise it just kills the whole body lord it just kills who we are inside lord and i do pray 
Father, that as we looked at these scriptures and these different examples, I pray that you would help us to be women that walk in poverty of spirit, fully aware of our need for you, but also fully aware of the grace that you have bestowed upon us, Lord. The mercy you've had in our lives, Lord, we really don't deserve anything, and we really shouldn't be asking you for anything else, because salvation is the greatest gift you have given us. Lord, and I'm so thankful today that you have adopted us into the family of God and we are your children, Lord. And I do pray for anyone that might be listening to this online, God, would you please encourage them, Lord, help them not to pull away from you, but to draw near to you, Lord. I pray that, Jesus, that they would see you as their all in all through the different trials that they're facing and just being discouraged or whatever else they're wrestling with right now. Lord, just come alongside them and minister to them in the way that you can and the only way you know how to, Lord, better than anyone else. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.